This brings us on to the next section of this passage, which is verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So John elaborates on his testimony now and he's already made one testimony look the Lamb of God and now he gives this testimony. This is a testimony by way of explanation in terms of how I know that this person is the Lamb of God, how I know he is the Messiah, how I know he is the one who will take away the sins of the world. And it's not because I knew beforehand, but because a sign was given to me, because something was shown to me which was um, not something which I'd come across before. And he says, the sign was this, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except for that. So this sign is something which was visible, which he could see. And that is again a difficulty for us to understand what that means because we weren't there. It's hard for us to say exactly what it means that I saw the Spirit come down as a dove. Some people have taken it to mean that maybe a physical dove landed on Jesus so that and that was taken as indicative of the Spirit coming. I'm not so sure we should see it that way around. Um, personally myself I would take it in the other way around which means that the idea that the Spirit coming down on Jesus was the Spirit which was dove-like or the characteristic of dove. The dove is a symbol of peace. It's always been a symbol of peace ever since the days of Noah, where a dove returned to the ark with a piece of um, a greenery in its beak, you know, and it comes back to show that there's now uh, a peaceful world for us to, to indwell and live in. So the dove has had that symbolism since that time, and carrying that symbolism, the idea of the dove of peace, of against a warlike nature, um, something which is um, a, a benefit and pacifying and kindly and well disposed towards us and hopeful. All of those things are carried by the idea of the dove. So this spirit which descends upon Jesus, how it's seen, how it's observed, what it looks like, um, how John noticed it, I have no comment to make because I don't know how that would would be something which John probably himself saw, maybe others did not see. Hard to say, but what I would say is that the spirit which came upon Jesus was dove-like in its nature, and that dove carries the idea of peace and bringing peace. And that's important to us from a context of reconciliation. It's important to us from the point of view of being reconciled to God because man is at enmity with God because of sinful character, nature, sinful acts, things that we do against the nature of God. 
So reconciliation is required, and a spirit of reconciliation and peace is something which descends upon Jesus, and more than just descends upon him, remains with him. And that would mean throughout his entire ministry. And what's more, you can see that remaining, that spirit of peaceableness, throughout all his dealings with whoever he came across. Whereas the Pharisees were quick to take offence and to write people off, he was the one who would deal peaceably with people, from the woman at the well to the tax collectors in the houses. He would sit with sinners and eat with them, and he accepted many people that the Pharisees and the religious people would not accept. He had a peaceable spirit and a spirit of reconciliation, which was quite different from the spirit of the age around him. And that's very important for us, I think, as a, as a lesson for the kind of spirit that maybe people should adopt if they want to emulate the way in which Jesus himself lived. John says, I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me that this is the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain. He is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. So I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have worked it out for myself. I wouldn't have thought it reasonable, rational, common sense thing to say. Rather, I had to be instructed by somebody else, the one who sent me. If you are not sure who the one who sent John is, well, we're reminded by John the Evangelist, who said that um, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. That's back in verse 6. So John was sent by God in the task of, uh, in, in the formulation of the, the idea of being an Old Testament prophet was sent by God. John was sent in the same kind of way. And I think elsewhere he's referred to as a kind of last of the line of the prophets, last of the ones who are appointed by God to speak in that kind of way, because everything else is fulfilled and completed through Jesus Christ. So I would not have known him, known him as the Messiah, known him as the Christ, known him as the Lamb of God, known him as the one who takes away the sins of the world. I may have known him as a cousin, but I didn't know him in this context, and um, accept that the one who sent me has uh, explained it. And the words of the one who sent him are uh, uh, made explicit. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. So God sent John the Baptist out to baptise with water. He did that to prepare the hearts and the minds of the people to accept that they needed to be cleansed from sin in order to make them ready and prepared to accept the Messiah, the one who is like a refiner's fire. And this acceptance, this ready acceptance, only comes from the heart of those people who already acknowledge their own need and their own sinfulness. That's the nature of John's cleansing. You don't come for baptism unless you acknowledge that inwardly yourself you need to be cleansed. And it's that 
humble character and nature, which is what is required to prepare acceptance for Jesus Christ. And with that uh, approach, that of a child-like approach, as Jesus once said himself, that's the kind of attitude one needs when approaching Jesus, the attitude of humility and acknowledgement of personal need. So, um, John concludes with saying that he is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. And that's an interesting idea then, something which must have been very foreign and unusual to the people who heard it for the first time here. We often hear of people being baptised by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit in some sense. Many people take that to be different things in different ways. But I think it's first mentioned here in the whole history of, of religion. It's not mentioned anywhere else as far as I'm aware. And baptising with the Holy Spirit means that being baptised by water means being cleansed by water. The Baptist used the River Jordan where he probably immersed people in water and therefore being immersed in the Holy Spirit or being cleansed by the Holy Spirit is a kind of an inward cleansing as opposed to John's outward cleansing. The outward cleansing of water doesn't actually accomplish any real inward cleansing, but the Holy Spirit is the equivalent, but an inward equivalent of cleansing and of preparation for the reception of Jesus Christ for the heart. So we're now looking at baptism, the baptism with water and the baptism with the Spirit as counterparts to each other, one being a picture and one being a reality. These two things therefore go hand in hand. One is like a sacrament which you perform as a reminder of the real thing and the real thing itself. So John is claiming that I'm merely prefiguring what Jesus Christ is going to do. I'm giving you a picture of it. I'm showing it to you by baptizing you with water, but he will do the real thing by baptizing you with the Holy Spirit, which will really cleanse you and prepare you properly to receive Christ. One is just an outward show, the other is an inward reality. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And this term, Son of God, appears again. We saw that with um, John the Evangelist talking about God's only Son. And we pointed out that that's not the same as being one of the children of God because the Son of God is a particular office or status, a unique position which only Jesus Christ himself um, holds. He is the sole Son of God in this sense, hence the terms are capitalised. So that is um, John the Baptist's testimony and that is the relationship between John and Jesus and their respective roles.